HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Many Kitchens, the one-stop shop for all things foodie. Discover the best artisanal foods that America has to offer. Shop for more at manykitchens.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Kathy Arroway, and we're here at uh, Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's Pizza as usual. And it's a crisp fall day. It's one of those perfect days for cooking something slow, simmering on the stove. And it's a great week for that because this Tuesday actually is the launch of the Gramercy Tavern Cookbook. It's the first cookbook from the acclaimed restaurant, Gramercy Tavern. And its chef, Michael Anthony is, by the way, the 2012 recipient of the James Beard Award for Best Chef in New York City. He has also been the executive chef at Blue Hill at Stone Barns, and he's actually in the station right now. How are you, Michael? Hi, Kathy. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for joining us, and congratulations on this cookbook. It's It's a beautiful book, just out from, well, it's going to be out from Clarkson Potter. Uh, It'll be out tomorrow. Tomorrow is the release date. It's, It's really beautiful, and it's also very practical. And it, it seems it seems like that may be a little bit counterintuitive to to what you might expect. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Uh, I think when chefs do cookbooks, I, I, first of all, personally, I was a little um, I had a hard time getting to the point in my career when I thought I would actually do that. And, <laughs> uh, but it you know it turned into a great way to tell the story of Gramercy mm-hmm. Tavern. That story hasn't been told before in, in book form. And uh, so I was super excited to, you know, be able to, uh, yeah, tell that story, the creation, the uh, the ideas behind the restaurant, the people who built it, uh, the kind of artwork that went into it. There mm. were so many firsts with that restaurant. Uh, and and then really to focus most of the book on the people who work there now. 
and and the food that we serve there now. And I think that, you know, the book ultimately kind of tells the story of the evolution of the restaurant. Very cool. So speaking of, of firsts um, that the restaurant sort of pioneered, um, you know, I've, I've attended many different Grow NYC functions at accompanied some tours and one thing that I frequently hear from organizers when they explain to to others the uh, the growth and su- the success of shopping locally in the green markets is that they couldn't have done it without the support and the participation and the patronage of chefs and restaurants like Gramercy Tavern. I think they they usually mention Gramercy Tavern. Yeah, well, for sure. I mean, if you look at the growth of Union Square and uh, when Union Square Cafe was built in the mid 80s, uh, it was, you know, it, it quickly set out as its mission to, to play, a, you know, a, a dynamic role in its neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was a um, amazing to look back now uh, and, and see what Danny's uh, vision has produced. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that connection that Danny and, and Michael Romano at Union Square Cafe built with the with the green market just a half a block away um, you know they still hold their um, their uh, monthly uh, market breakfast where they'll invite wow. someone from you know from the market in a producer uh, into the uh, into Union Square Cafe cook and tell you know tell their story mm-hmm. so there was that intimate relationship that happened and then you know between the mid 80s and now we also saw this kind of fierce um, uh, you know, participation from restaurants of all kinds. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were some restaurants that considered it more important to be near the airport than near the market. Mm. Uh, and and I think, you know, defiantly, most restaurants have said now that by shopping at the market, by uh, making those personal connections, by using ingredients that are grown close to home, uh, there's, there is a um, kind of a po- more powerful way to tell our story. Mm. So when Tom and Danny built Gramercy Tavern and uh, it was just three blocks away from from the green market. There was that was intentional. There was mm-hmm. a they they were uh, for sure looking to build on the um, that connection. And Tom has uh, been a strong supporter of the green market since the the first days of Gramercy Tavern. And in the last seven years, we've been able to you know to take that that story and, and run with it. We hmm. uh, have the luxury of having a remarkable uh, man on our staff named Modesto Batista, who's featured in the book. Mm-hmm. And at this point, for anyone who you know who takes strolls or shops at the market or enjoys restaurants in general <laughs> in New York City, that he's an iconic figure. So he mm-hmm. he is our chief. Um, forager well his his title is is chief steward um and so he has a number of responsibilities like a lot of restaurant organizations he oversees our uh porter team and uh, dishwashers and manages their schedule um but his his primary purpose and i think his main love in life is to be able to um is to shop at the gray market Mm -hmm. and he goes he, he so he organizes our runs four days a week multiple times a day and you can't miss him. He's a six foot uh, man, six six foot man, six foot two inch man, <laughs> um, who has our hybrid wheelbarrow uh, making his way in and out. And you know, when I uh, contemplated the idea of working at Gramercy Tavern, one of the first things that came to mind was, man, that guy's going to be on my team. <laughs> so, uh, so it's a real luxury. Um, but then, you know, if you look at um, you know, restaurants across New York and across the country now. It, we know that it's not a passing, you know, trend. Uh, trend. Yeah, it's not a phase. fad. This is a defining characteristic in the way we eat. And one of the most important aspects of it is to is that I think a lot of restaurants in New York 
uh, that do really well at saying that, look, this is not a, an exclusive nature between uh, a restaurant and, and producers. This right. is all about kind of creating enthusiasm and showing people that you can buy your food here. You have the best selection of the freshest uh, food um, and you have the people right in front of you who, who are responsible for growing it. So the way we source food at the restaurant is the same way that I source food at home mm-hmm. in the same way that anybody who walks through the doors at Gramercy Tavern can, can source their food. And I hope that you know what this book does is not simply point out that we have access to amazing food here in the Northeast, but it, it's kind of a, a welcome mat. It's a bit of an invitation for people around the country and even whoever gets their hands on this book around the world. It's an invitation to, um, to treating themselves to the pleasure of eating uh, fresh, vibrant food. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know a better way to get it other than to go out and ask your friends and neighbors or go to a, a green market or, or you know, go straight to a farm. Um, it's ironic, my parents are sitting right outside <laughs> the window here. They live in central Ohio. That's and so great. that's the advice I give to mom. It's like, go knock on your mm-hmm. neighbor's door. Go to the green market. Ask questions. Like that, Those kind of interesting plants are out there. People are growing them. There is a newfound interest and uh, a growing uh, you know, economy. And one of the things I hear from farmers, too, because I know you have a, a, a great relationship uh, with so many different farmers that you source for the restaurant, is that it's sort of like a, it, it's been a symbiotic relationship in terms of like the evolution of, of, of what they grow and that there's been uh, a newfound interest in, in different heirloom varieties, for instance, and there's been influence just back and forth. Right. So, you know, as you see chefs travel around the world and become more connected with our colleagues from everywhere, um, you know, ideas um, bu- bubble up faster. And mm-hmm. when you can share those ideas with the people who grow the food and ask questions about a particular um, variety or a particular breed of animal, um, you know, there's a, there's a dynamic dialogue there. Mm-hmm. And so what we've also seen in the last few years is not necessarily, um, you know, the, a pretentious story where a chef turns around and says, grow this, grow that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's more like, hey, what works well on your farm? What is mm-hmm. your story all about? What's the history of, of, of your, your, your family or your business? And what could we grow? And, and so that's, I think, a much more interesting story of having that back and forth, um, you know, I, I'm a chef. I I do what I do in a kitchen, but mm-hmm. the people that we buy from are farmers. So I shouldn't. I don't really want to suppose that I know more about their business than they do. So I ask questions, and I think that's the biggest thing is coming up with the the right questions. That brings up a, a thought of um, that I had about you know, there seems to be a little bit of a, a chicken. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Because um, obviously, um, the with the influence of your restaurant and other great um, pioneering restaurants and new American cuisine, local cuisine, local food sourcing, um, it has a great ripple effect on everyday consumers. And it's great because that means more support for the farms, local farms, and more people get to keep their land and uh, everyone's eating more healthy, perhaps. But who's like, where does this start? Like, what are, who, was it the farmers first? Was it you was it restaurants first? Was it? Are there leaders that um, help inform your decisions? 
Well, if you look at the history of the green market, it was there you know, since the early 70s. And so mm-hmm. it's a matter of the way we look at our surroundings. So I think that there are, you know, it's like any kind of field. It, it really gets reinterpreted by, by new generations of people. And so if you, know, if you look at the space that we're sitting in now, the, the, mm-hmm. the garden is over our heads. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think it's all about this relationship and being, you know, first, uh, making food a priority. Uh, second, it's about um, t- taking that initiative to go out and, and look hard for it, not just accepting what's easiest in life and what's on the supermarket shelves, but going out there and asking those great questions to try to, you know, to make really it's all about um, making food uh, a celebratory moment. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a boring week in the middle of a nondescript month and, you know, everyone's stressed with the normal pressures of life. But when you, you have something delicious, um, you know, waiting at home or things that you're going to you're going to cook with your friends and family and you spend a few more times just connecting with the world around you mm-hmm. rather than, you know, r- rather than um, logging on, you can you can you <laughs> know tune into the kitchen. I think that there's a there is something really powerful about uh, making food that one of those, you know, priorities in life that brings pleasure. Right. It's all about kind of reconnecting with the 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 sensorial pleasure of of doing something cooking something cool and delicious and making something with your hands right you know sharing some information with people who have similar interests so you know i think fortunately we are living and and working in a time when so many people find that important um Maybe so, maybe nature and the environment started at all. Uh, well, I <laughs> you think know, I think it's all about re- reconnecting. We're yeah. at a time in in our society when reconnecting is really important to a mm-hmm. lot of people, and food is just one way to do it. It happens to be what I've decided to mm-hmm. do for a living, and so we've tried to sh- you know share that through this cookbook. But we had to share that in a very particular way. If we're going to get people to be enthusiastic and feel good about cooking, we want to make sure that we present it in terms that they understand, and that's mm-hmm. not dumbing down. The food from Gramercy Tavern. I mean, we every chef will say they cook simply, right? I mean, that's right. a very uh, you know the most the most common heard expression about describing one's cooking. But at the restaurant, we have to recognize that you know we have a staff of 180 people, so we work hard at refining what we do. But there are a lot of hands to make it excellent and to to make it feel. Uh, effortless. The reality of it is, is we all know whether we're cooking for ourselves or a friend or a family. It's tough to be a cook. It's really hard. It's even hard. It's very hard. It's probably hardest to be a cook at home. You know, you put a lot of thought, a lot of work, a lot of (laughs) hopes and dreams into a meal and you have to sit right down there and look at somebody you're eating with and say, do you like it? Mm -hmm. You know, was it worth the time? Did, you know, was it, was it fun and exciting? And ultimately, especially when there's kids involved, you know, no accolades or wearing a chef jacket around the house <laughs> makes it any easier. You know what I mean? I have three daughters. and so, What tastes good, tastes good. That's <laughs> yeah. really... you got to win people over on a very flat playing field. Mm-hmm. And so we try to do that with this book. We want more people to cook. Mm-hmm. Not, not simply for people to admire Gramercy Tavern. It's a beautiful restaurant, and I feel so lucky to be in the position to be the steward of that, that restaurant. But at the same time, um, you know, we want for people to pick up that book and hopefully cook more intuitively. Mm-hmm. That this gives them some ideas of here's how we approach cooking, and here is a sketch of how we would do it um, at home. Uh, the, the main difference is at Gramercy Tavern, obviously, we have a professional kitchen with lots of talented cooks. Yeah, it's totally different. At home, <laughs> you're usually alone, right? Right. And so the number of pans that I'm willing to use at home is nothing like, yeah. at work. The, I like the how number you of pans say to that, plate. that you really, really factor in how much cleanup there will be Yeah, I mean, when you <laughs> decide to make something at home. I mean, I think everybody who cooks Which at I home thinks of that. I should probably do more often. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, 
think about that later. <laughs> so that aspect of writing the book was definitely the hardest. We wanted to be true to the spirit of the restaurant, and we definitely want you know for people to feel inspired by, you know, for everyone who's had a hand in building that restaurant, and for everyone who's ever eaten there, we want for them to feel really connected to to the food and and the people. Um, but at the same time, I, I hope that this is a book that lives in people's kitchens that they'll you know either it'll be a book that's not just a coffee table book yeah right right. it'll look beautiful it'll be a great gift but we want for it to be you know how we want for it to be used some people splatter it and tatter it other people read it and then close it and then go cook you know with that idea in mind so whatever way it works for folks at home i just hope people use it and i can't wait to use it because the fall recipes you know i usually have a little bit of a, a creative uh hiccup when we head into a new season not sure quite what to do. Yeah, you how gotta to get, get revved up with a new set. So yeah, you just yeah. kind of sink into a, a new cookbook. Even just you know reading the pictures before or reading the pictures, yeah. Um, you know, taking a look before you fall asleep and then dream about something later. It's just it's just inspirational. It's so that book is organized in seasons. Mm-hmm. So you know that's the way I tend to think about food, and so it seemed just natural that we would do that. And and so uh, you know I see you flipping through the the fall section there. Um, it, this is one of the greatest times of the year to cook, and it, the restaurant has this natural pull, right? When it smell that smoky aroma wafting through the neighborhood, you kind of know right where it's coming from. Uh, and it's easy to translate that at home, even if you don't have, you know, a wood-burning oven. And um, But the, the ingredients are vibrant and colorful, and, you know, we start to ease into this cooler weather, which we're seeing this week here in our part of the country, um, where we see the, you know, kind of full swing, the squashes, the cauliflower actually um, yeah the farmers all say fall is the best time of year because you have all these <clears throat> amazing uh you know brassicas are now like really fresh yeah we try to trans transfer kind of tr- uh, transform some of those hard to use vegetables into cool and easy dishes right. like the spaghetti squash and sherry sauce that's served with the porgy that you're looking at um it's a it's a simple dish that came with a little uh trial and error and we we found a combination that is surprising, but not difficult to make at home. I want to get back to the porgy and some other ingredients um, throughout this book. Um, we're just going to have a quick little musical interlude, and we'll be right back chatting more with Michael Anthony from Gramercy Tavern. You are listening to When It Was Wrong by the California Honey Drops on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Well, I remember, baby, when we were still in school, all the good times that we shared are breaking all the rules, are trying to find a place with no one around, are trying so hard. Kitchens.com, you can enjoy decadent caramel brownies, hand-picked teas, and fair trade coffee, oven-roasted chicken pot pies, and so much more. Whether you're planning a dinner party, sending a gift, or just want to try something new and delicious, Many Kitchens offers something for everyone. Help support small batch producers while you discover the best in artisanal foods from across the nation at ManyKitchens.com. Many Kitchens, the one-stop shop for all things foodie. And 
All right, we're back with Michael Anthony in the Gramercy Tavern. Cookbook is out tomorrow from Clarkson Potter. Um, so in the beginning of your recipe for lightly curried sweet peas and scapes and ramps, I love how you write um, that luxurious cooking has tr- traditionally meant truffles, caviar, and foie gras. But at Gramercy Tavern, we redefine luxury as the delicious progression of seasonal ingredients like sweet peas. Um, and it seems that you might have taken a lot of risks and challenges um in you know support not supporting but you know utilizing these new luxury ingredients and presenting them in a context where people might be expecting these you know fancy foie foie gras (laughs) yeah and kind of introducing new like like your porgy recipe um also you said that you know porgies usually looked at, looked at by chefs as not such a fancy fish, and right. um, but you strive to use it because it's something that is locally available. Right. There, so there are a lot of themes that are kind of packed in that notion of, you know, trying to uh, redefine luxury cooking, mm-hmm. and that's a little bit of a grandiose statement. <clears throat> but what it, it really is is just trying to pinpoint uh, what makes for uh, you know an exciting meal, and whether that's in a restaurant setting or at home. I've always found it really great wherever I travel to taste things that are you know from that place. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, all something the, rare and well, whether to it's that rare place. or it's you know what common in that place. Okay. It may be may be strange and new to right. to a traveler, but, but you know I like to yeah. I think that's one of the most exciting ways to experience someplace new, and right. so that's really what gets translated into uh, that that comment of like we want to cook with modest ingredients that come from here mostly that are grown by people we know. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's the kind of simple ingenuity or just slight innovative um, uh, touch or uh, an interesting combination or maybe a new technique that goes into handling those modest ingredients with care. Mm-hmm. really boils down to just giving them the value that they deserve and yeah. recognizing that there's a story behind those ingredients that you know we may have grown up somewhat indifferent to and in you know the, our commodity world we've we've made them into being you know widgets right but so the, giving them the spotlight that they that they really do deserve and giving them a name you know so right. the idea of naming a particular vi- variety is not about the pretentiousness of uh you know trying to fool people into thinking that it they should like it because mm-hmm. it's you know uh, it's rare local, or something, but yeah. it, it it's it's kind of like finding the names for the food that we that seems like a pretty natural and exciting way of exploring the subject to me, and that's really what happens at Gramercy Tavern is we take uh, and focus our story on on those ingredients, and you know some of them might be strange to people. I mean, a fiddlehead fern is pretty cool when you look at it, and if mm-hmm. you're not used to eating fiddlehead ferns, I can see how that looks like a really foreign foreign ingredient but the reality of it is is that if we kind of take a look at uh the the world right around us wherever it is that we live all of these cool foods are there they've been there they've been there forever and we've just kind of chosen to ignore them Mm -hmm. for a while Mm -hmm. so you know in that 
that dish that you mentioned, the um, English peas, lightly curried English peas, we've we've tossed some fiddlehead ferns and some garlic scapes. So there's a little discovery involved in that dish for some folks who may not be used to eating those things. And for those of us who, you know, look at them as a real trumpet of springtime, then, you know, then it's more nostalgic than anything and feels like that connection. So I think Food resonates with people for different reasons, and and for me, it's all about just giving reverence to those those kinds of ingredients and tr- making sure that we say something about it. I think a good cook is uh, one who always cooks with intent and mm-hmm. has like, I mean, there's another side of that is behind every chef there's a show off, right? So there's always a cook is always someone who's expressing something through the food they they make and. You know, the food at Gramercy Tavern and the food in the Gramercy Tavern cookbook is meant to be accessible. It's it's not meant to shock or surprise anyone. It's meant to be lovable. And um, those ingredients are all ingredients that, you know, that we found easy enough from local sources. We did not have to, you know, search the four ends of the globe to, mm-hmm. to find them. They tell a story. So in a way, like just the sheer their appearance in the book tells a, a, a discrete story of, you know, what, what we're thinking about mm-hmm. in a particular time of year. Now, and when you use an ingredient like, like fiddlehead ferns, there is a, quite, of a, quite a ripple effect. Um, you know, when a restaurant like Gramercy Tavern, they're sort of seen as a leader amongst other chefs and restaurants, and then soon more people are using fiddlehead ferns. So how, how, um, how much of a responsibility do you feel when you choose these ingredients? It's an interesting <laughs> comment. We saw a backlash this year uh, in terms of foraging ramps. And so <laughs> I think the restaurant is ultimately responsible for those uh, those trends. And, and not, you know, not that I think Everyone follows Gramercy Tavern's lead. Porgies are going to (laughs) get... But it's a a big restaurant that has a wide fan base. And I do think that, you know, for example, in terms of ramps, we decided to cut back our usage of of the ramps just to make sure that... Uh, the people that we're buying from um, weren't necessarily overpicking mm-hmm. from an area because ultimately we recognize that you know those are wild foods and if they uh, are over harvested then um, then we may not have access to them. So a porgy is the same story. We're using a fish that may not be familiar to everyone around the country, but that is a, a fish that tells a story, a very intimate story for people in the Northeast who grew up fishing, you know, that for that mm-hmm. off of the dock <clears throat> with a little bobber. You know, those mm-hmm. were, that's a very um, nostalgic fish. And the other side of it is, is that it's, for, for the most part, it's bycatch and it's a great sustainable choice. Um, and then lastly, and or maybe firstly, too. it's an awesome tasting fish. <laughs> I don't exactly. understand. It's a perfect size to work with. I love it. So, you know, the thing is, is that none of these recipes um, uh, are dependent on the one ingredient mm. that's highlighted. Yeah. If you don't have access to porgy or, you know, your fishmonger can't get it or you can't catch it. It's like use use a sea bass. Use a, you know, black sea bass is a readily available fish in most parts of the country. And I hope that people will easily make those steps. Like I, I wanted to softly tell the story of how thoughtful a seafood program we have at the restaurant without hitting people over the head with information. So there's a nice kind of uh, easygoing suggestion of try a fish you may not be familiar Mm -hmm. with, like porgy, because it tastes awesome and it's a sustainable choice. But at the same time, if you you can, I still want you to cook the dish, um, but use a fish that you're comfortable with. And speaking more about proteins, and these buying decisions are... are you know, very important. And I know you've been a huge supporter of Heritage Foods and also the No Goat Left Behind program, yeah. which was, you know, a mission-based uh, initiative to, to to put goat in front of, 
you know, people's uh, appetite, you know, get it on their national appetite a little bit more. Listen, and you've, I, you've I been, have to admit that, yeah. you know, I did not grow up eating goat and I was not familiar with cooking goat. And it was a couple of years ago uh, through Heritage Foods that we discovered the pleasure of cooking mm-hmm. and eating goat. And it was so much more delicious and approachable and uh, flavorful um, than I ever expected. And, and we've become huge fans of it. Uh, we serve it in the tavern, the front room of the restaurant that's you know open from noon straight through till the end of the night. And there's a menu there, not a tasting menu because that I, I call it today a the today menu. It's all about if you want to sit down and let us make a suggestion of here's what we're crazy about mm-hmm. on a particular day. And so for the last uh, you know week and a half, two weeks, we've featured that goat uh, on that menu because it just feels like now is the time of year that we have it and we want to celebrate it. It's delicious. It's crazy good when it comes <laughs> off of the wood burning fire. Um, goat does not appear in this cookbook, but there are other ingredients like the braised shoulder of lamb. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, that you works. know are very similar, and you know we served it on a um, an emerald green broccoli puree. So those are all things that are accessible to most most Absolutely. folks. Absolutely, and you know lamb is one of those ingredients that have long been seen as a luxury ingredient. So here's goat as a as an alternative. It's, it is a perfect and easy step for most people to make. And if if people you know if it's a discovery for them, then we're doing something right at the restaurant. Awesome. So what makes this cookbook, Gramercy Tavern Cookbook? different from a lot of different cook um, a lot of other cookbooks out there well it's so much more than just a cookbook it really is the story of uh the restaurant which is a beloved restaurant in in new york city it's going on 20 years of operation which is uh amazing to think about i mean in restaurant years that is a that is a more than a lifetime for most restaurants uh, it tells the amazing vision of Danny Meyer. The I, I couldn't believe when I read his introduction to the book how honest and true it was mm-hmm. and how insightful it is. You, you learn, whether you've been a fan of the restaurant for years or you're just discovering it, you learn so much about um, the, the original vision for the restaurant and how it's evolving and how new people who come to that story are working in this uh, timeless setting. There's a, an essay with the uh, architects, Bentel and yeah. Bentel, uh, and and I, I had a chance to tell them just last week, uh, thank you for creating this timeless setting that, you know, as new generations of people come to this restaurant and bring fresh ideas that we're, we're able to and very comfortably able to, you know, to, to deliver those in that, 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 that structure that they built. Not only is it practical and it keeps working really well. Um, it, you know, it's a setting for uh, for food that is much different now than it was originally. So I feel really lucky that we get to work in that 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 setting. So um, it also the, the the book highlights the people who work in the restaurant. So you have essays by Kevin Mahan, the general manager and partner of the restaurant, Juliet Pope, who's the hardest working and one of the most talented um, beverage directors in the country. Um, you you get to hear from Roberta Ben David, who's the florist in the in the restaurant responsible for those amazing arrangements that you know that are breathtaking on in every single season. Uh, so you you hear from so many people from you know from the owner of the restaurant on down to the sous chef and even the you know the the chief steward. We hear from from Modesto from his point of view of shopping in the green market. And I think that it's um, it is a behind the scenes look at a. It really, you know, one of the it's most magical, yeah. one of the most magical restaurant families. Yeah. 
So thank you so much for all your time here. And, you know, it's been just really inspiring getting to, to see for the first time, uh, you know, a cookbook from, from Gramercy Taverns. And it's, it's one that I'm sure will be very much enjoyed throughout this uh, fall and holiday season. I'm glad, just, you, glad you like just it. came out. And any, any one favorite recipe from the book that, that you might have? Well, you were just looking at the, the ch- this uh, butternut squash chowder with uh, peppers. And I think this time of That's year perfect. is explosive and easy. I just wanted to say that I'll be with Danny, uh, Danny Meyer and Dorothy Kalins Friday, Friday evening yeah, at the Strand. Strand. If anybody wants to come out. We'll also be at the Green Market on Saturday morning signing books. So Union Square. love to show it off. All right. So check that out. And also just check out uh, the book. It's out tomorrow from Clarkson Potter. Thanks again for joining us, Michael Anthony. And uh, we'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Oh, I like the way you do. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.